0: Hello and welcome to the Skytime podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes Sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. It's also a celebration of Sky's vibrant history, culture and environment and aims to gently persuade visitors to spend more time, get off the beaten track and experience more of what our island has to offer. This week's Skytime podcast is sponsored by Toravade Distillery on Slate, where an island-style heavily peated single malt whisky is being distilled in a beautifully restored farmsteading. This week we're certainly getting off the beaten track with the Skytime podcast, and in fact off the land altogether, as we dive into the sea around Sky. My guests are Jill Williams and Geraint Ashton-Jones from Below the Skyline, a photographic collaboration to capture images of the wildlife in the waters around Skye. Welcome to the Skytime podcast.
1: Nice Thank you.
0: Now, before we get into the Below the Skyline project, tell me about yourselves. Jill, first of all.
1: Well, my background, police officer for 30 years, and I was a police diver for 23 of my 30 years. I've always had a, a love of water and being in the water Um, I think I did the best job in the world, being a police diver. Um, It wasn't pleasant, but it was always interesting. But it was also part of my love of being in the water, really. It formed part of that. And I retired from the police in 2010 and moved up full-time to Sky and immediately set up an outdoor swimming group with local people, which is still going strong today. We still meet on a Sunday. And um, got to know Grant over the years and uh, got our heads together for the Below the Skyline project uh, more recently in the last couple of years. And
0: Grant, what what's your career history been up to this point?
2: My main career was uh, in the Royal Navy, so similar to Jill, we have sort of service backgrounds, uh, although I was a non seagoing going uh, member of the Royal Navy, so my my love of the water has come through uh, from living at the sea uh, as a babe in arms and learning to swim as a very early stage for my safety reasons to uh, a lot of sailing and uh, staying involved and more recently, as the photography took off I, I still one of my specialisms is is otters uh, on the, on the shoreline. but you know when I look back at my childhood, my memories are actually uh, Croyd Bay in, in North Devon. Which had a great surf, but it also had great rock pools. And I think the, the rock pool is a microcosm of the, that sort of literal life with its variety, sparks something which I want to sort of re energize now, but on a, on a bigger scale, um, which we're hoping to do uh, through the collaboration. So, how did you meet
0: and start talking about the seas around Sky? Uh, well, we've
1: known each other for few years, haven't we? Um, you came, my, my husband at the time, not my husband at the time, my husband <laughs> owned a gallery in Waternish, and you came into the, I, I was looking after it one day, wasn't exactly. I? And you, you you and your wife came in, yeah. and we just got chatting, didn't we? And we stayed in touch ever since, really.
2: Yeah, exactly as Jill said, that's how we we met, we met. and in the gallery, there's some of Jill's photography as well, which at the time... Is really was mainly the aurora. Yeah. Some great photographs of, of the aurora, and we came up, and we we both loved Thailand, and there was links to Thailand, so we started getting on. And as I say, police service, navy. There's a service background, so there's a certain uh, linkage in camaraderie and understanding, and and that was it at the time. And and then also I was formulating ideas because most of my photography is. is working with other photographers to achieve what we want to do. So I I do my own photography, but I I work a lot with people. And I had this idea that Sky has been voted as one of the top 10 places in the world to be a landscape photographer. Well, that's great. Fine. So if you want great landscape photography, join the group. We've got this beautiful vistas, but also our coastline is phenomenal. And, and the shellfishes World Club. So I had this this view I wanted to do more, but I, I couldn't do it on my own. And um, I invited, cajoled, battered Jill to come down to the South Sky Camera Club to give a talk, which I thought was actually going to be on the Aurora, but she phoned me and said, can I do anything I want? She said, yes, you can. And she came down and did a presentation on her underwater photographs
1: was a underwater wild. tour of sky, wasn't it? it, it was. I was dreading it. I was <laughs> absolutely dreading it. <laughs>
2: so, so at the end of this presentation, I went up to Jill and said, "Look, I said I've got this idea. I want to photograph sky underwater." I said, "You've got a great," and she has. "You've got this great natural eye for an underwater photograph, be it macro, landscape, or whatever." But having seen the presentation, we needed on the technical side to to get the the raw product so that we could do more with it. So explain that to Jill, and you could see in her eyes, you know, so you don't like my photographs? Said, no, no, I love your photographs, <laughs> but on the technical side of the business, we want to be able to do more with them. I said, so if we provided you, Allergan Photography provided you with some different equipment, would you take some photographs? And then we could see what we were doing. And, and from that, it, it, the ball started rolling. And the only other, but I'll say, just to get out of the way first of all, I said right at the outset, I'd really like you to be underwater with strobes using artificial light. And Jill was quite out of I'm only with a snorkel and it's good sunlight and I don't need under- artificial light. And it took about 12 months before she. So it 12 months before we <laughs> used <using the> strobes.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it took me 12 months before I even used the macro. I've I've never done a photography course apart from one, only in recent years. And uh, and so my knowledge of the technical side of photography is zilch. Is I've had to Google everything, you know. And first of all, him lumbering me, Geraint lumbering me with that talk, I was terrified because <laughs> there were people that taught photography built cameras and I was dreading the questions afterwards, you know, technical questions. And, and I, I I threatened Geraint and said, look... You've got to tell these people not to ask me technical questions. And uh, and then of course he, he then says, Right, we've got strobes, we got this, we've got that, and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? you know? And uh, I'm I'm really into it now. I love the strobes and I, I love the macro even more. So
0: we'll come on to some of these technical terms mm. in a minute, but I'm curious about the whole concept of collaborating on photography because I I would have thought maybe naively that every image is in the eye of the beholder and uh, so how how do you collaborate
1: I think we decided that early on that it was going to be an open book really wasn't yes. it we wanted to re- we wanted to raise people's awareness of what i was seeing underwater on a daily basis whether it was good or bad and, and not really make any comments or any biased criticism of what we were seeing so so, for instance, today we posted a photograph of a um, a black bin liner wrapped around um, seaweed, mm. you know. And, we, you know, it's it's, it's just a, a big part of sort of current topic at the moment. Is it plastic in water, plastic on our coastline, in our oceans? And all we're trying to do is to show that there's, you know, we've got these amazing creatures and uh, things happening down underwater, but also... Just now and again, you come across that, which is not good, you know. And certain areas you go to on Sky, you, you you see more and more of it, you know, which is a shame. But but it was an open book to begin with.
2: And, and, I, and I think on that, when you, you work with someone who's got talent, and you say the collaboration, Jill has taken every single photograph that you see on Below the sky. There's not one photograph that I've pressed the shutter. Now, when you give time to a project, and we said right at the start, it was going to be open-ended. And at the beginning, Jill just carried on with the dives, taking photographs and exploring. And then as we started, and I do the post-production of the photographs, and as we started seeing what came out of the photographs and we built up the portfolio and we're having conversations about them, almost by osmosis, you start honing in, It would be nice to have something like this. So when the time is right, that might take place. But but don't force the creative side of the, the project. The story, and it's a really important story, the story is about a very fragile environment that can be so giving in terms of its beauty, but can also be quite heart-wrenching of how easy it is to damage. We'll be able to tell the story quite easily when we create great imagery. And we, I, I personally think we're creating some, some great imagery. I, I don't want that to sound arrogant, but we, we're producing good images, and we will build that up, and they will then weave themselves into a story. And this year, to me, last year was marked by some great landscapes of seaweed and light forming through it, and jellyfish. This year has been the year of the young muscle at Carbost and Delightful Colours and the nudie branch and a lot of macro work. And we've spoken about this and next year it might be be something else because Jill is now coming out of the water and she knows what's around sky and she knows the seasons that they come in. Mm. So so when we then just talk away from underwater away from photography, we are getting in tune with where this can go next. And also, Jill's work's improving, her eyes improving. She now understands the macro lens, great. She understands (laughs) the strobe lights. And then she hopefully will see what then I can produce from that raw image and the impact, and then can inform me. So it's, it's that circular process.
0: Would the creative process have been as good and as successful if you weren't also focused on the message about the importance of our marine environment, or would you have done it anyway?
1: I was in there anyway, but 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 this is uh, this has given us something really to focus on, and and you know we've got quite a following now, and. I think we are we are getting our message across. We are showing people just how useful it is down there, how much it needs protecting, even the smallest creature. You see all these big publicity campaigns about protecting whales and dolphins, etc., which have got to be protected. But we're now looking at the tiniest little creature, which is equally as important, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, when I get into the water, I'm not getting in with any particular thing in my, you know, idea in my head as to what I want. I... Sometimes I am, but very, very rarely is that. Um, you know, I, I know certain areas to go where I know I I'll always swim with salmon. And so I know that when I get into the water, I'll be photographing salmon. But most of the time, I'm just getting in and, and seeing what I find, really. And nine times out of ten, it's, it's worthwhile, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, um, I, I think on this, the, the,
2: the important point is, I and mean, it was where the starting point this is not a money making project, part of a money making business. And the advice I give to any photographers that I work with and young photographers coming up, to develop your craft, take photographs as something you've got a passion about because it will naturally come out in your photographs. Whether you're taking them with your phone, a cheap point and shoot, or the most expensive camera in the world. If you've got a passion for what you're seeing through the lens, you it will come out in the image. And I think the starting point, and it is the ongoing point, is, and we're very different people, of where we wear our hearts and our sleeves and whatever, but I think we're both passionate about that underwater environment. And I will sometimes get a text or a phone call or an email when Jill has come out of the water, and even if it's a text, the text is alive because she's found something new. I'm buzzing. <laughs> you, you know, and that is what goes into the image because jill has been excited has been been moved emotionally of something that she's seen under the water and then we're trying to bring that emotion into hopefully a powerful story downstream down, down but if you haven't got the emotion at the start you're not going to bring the emotion out of the end
0: You've both mentioned technology quite a bit, and so I'm interested to get, get into some of that. Talk me through some of the tools that Geraint has given you that have enabled you to take your underwater photography to another level. You've mentioned macro, you mentioned mentioned strobes. Talk, talk me through how you use them.
1: Um, well, obviously I needed a better camera to begin with, so I've got a better camera and uh, top quality housing, underwater housing that goes over the outside of the camera for people that have never seen a camera go underwater. It needs protection and it needs protection against the pressure of the water and any water getting in. So I've got the most amazing camera and housing system. And then on top of that, I can interchange lenses so I can have a wide angle or I can have a macro lens and each of those has its own port, if you like, on the front of the housing to accommodate the different So size you don't have to come up out of the water oh, no, to I, change I, the lens? No, no, no. Oh, I'd, yeah. always, I'd always have to come up um, out of the water to change change the lens. And then, um, so we've got three different lenses. I, I tend to work with just two lenses, mainly. Um, but we've got housings to go, uh, port housings to go with each of those. And then um, on top of that, we've got the strobes for the lighting. Um, so we can introduce artificial light in into the environment, and that that comes into its own when it's an overcast day. Really, I mean, if you've got brilliant sunshine coming through, um, you've got all the light you need. But if I'm if I'm starting to get into the shade of something below cliffs, under rocks, it's nice to have something to to introduce. Uh, and what, and what
0: effect does bringing in a strobe, some artificial light, have on the wildlife, the the, the fish? I mean, are they not spooked?
1: Not really, no, no. Because I mean, it's it's an instant thing. They're probably dazzled. They can't see without <laughs> taking the shot. But um, no, I mean, I mean, it it what it does, it really brings out the colours of of what you've got. Because once you start descending underwater, you start losing natural colour, and so by by having light in there it keeps that colour, the natural colour. If if you if you went down to say ten metres, most things would appear sort of greeny blue and you'd lose all of the beautiful natural colours. You introduce light in and, and you get all that back and, and all my work is done snorkeling. So you're in real shallow water but you can still lose natural colour and so it introduces it introduces the natural colour, it keeps the natural colour, it, it introduces it illuminates the subject and creates nice shadowing as well, um, and I know Gerant will be able to. His speciality is lighting, and so I know that he'll be able to explain it more. But for, for my purpose, I know that by by adjusting the strobe in a particular way, it will illuminate what I'm trying to photograph to its best, with a with a lovely shadow as well. Um, sent, you know, from, uh, sort of emerging from behind it.
0: So how did you go about deciding in this vast? landscape and seascape, where to start with your your photography?
2: started with Jill's favourite uh, dive locations and has gradually seeped out from there, so um, this year I think we're now up to 30 something,
1: 33, 33 different dive locations. locations.
2: Uh, some have been more frequented than others and you know what we know in, in, in some of them, you know, whether it's kelp, sea rack, uh, seagrasses, whether it's you're going there for salmon, as Jill has mentioned, and some of the uh, the freshwater burns, or whether, you know, it's crabs, mussels, j- the jellyfish season, and, and you're sort of building those those layers up. Uh, but it, that's been really a, an iterative, Process. We haven't gone to the map, said we haven't done there yet. We, we will get there when we get there.
0: So Jill, what's your favourite location around Sky to Dive and, um, and why?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm discovering new ones all the time, that's the problem. And uh, uh, I suppose a uh, go back to all the time is Fanks near Kildonan. And that was one of my favourite ones before the start of the project anyway. And that's purely because there's a fantastic array of seaweed there and sea life there. And so whenever you go in, you're not going to be disappointed. And you can actually go there day after day after day, and every single day it will be different. And so you will always see something different. But over the last 18 months we've been doing this, um, I've come to love Ed Bernersdale, which, which has just been amazing, and Span down at Harlosh has got so much potential there, and and I every time I think if they, I I tend to swim in areas where where in in sort of lee you know on a lee shore so that so that if if the wind's coming from the north I'll I'll dive t- facing south so that you're you, you're keeping calm waters, and uh, yeah. Camaspan is one that I keep going back to if the the wind's blowing from the north I'm straight back there straight away because it is such a great location but then I was was swimming at um, Carroy Jetty just a few days ago and that's got the most incredible kelp forest and and, and I'm only in for maybe at this time of year maybe an hour an hour and 20 minutes or so and so you're only getting a a small snippet of a of a whole big picture, you know, and so there's so much more to explore just in those immediate areas, you know, and, and I've also got places that are in my head that I want to go to, but it's just it's just getting the right conditions. Some of them are more difficult to get to, um, and what equipment I'm gonna to take to, to, to sort of make it worthwhile as well. And to
0: what extent does the weather play a part in your, your decisions and are there conditions that you literally cannot dive in or it's not safe to
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, my my job made me very health and health and safety conscious, you know. And so, you know, safety is the sort of prime thing before I get into any any water. Yeah, the weather is the, is the major part, really. I, I check the weather the night before, see if it's going to be okay, and the next morning check again, check the tides, and then decide where I'm going to go. I never I never think, all right, I'm going to be swimming there tomorrow. Unless we've got a sort of period of settled weather, then then I think it's going to be OK anyway. But whenever I wake up and I know I'm going to get in the water, I, I just check the weather again. I check the tides and then think, right, I could go here, I could go there and, and just decide on the hoof, really. Um, the, but yeah, it's, it's fairly sort of, you know, it's not a pre-planned thing, sort of days and days before. And it's, it's it tends to be just the wind that stops... Me from getting in. If it's raining, it doesn't matter. In fact, it adds to it really, because you, you, it's nice to actually swim with the sound of the water, sort of the rain um, sort of hitting the water. But if it's windy, then first of all, you're moving about, the sea's moving about, and whatever you're trying to photograph is moving about. So you've got three things all working against each other, and, and you only get that really when it's when it's really windy. And so, like yesterday, for instance, where it's very very windy, there was no way I was going to get into the water.
0: You're listening to the Skytime Podcast, sponsored by Torovig Distillery on Slate. My guests this week are Geraint Ashton-Jones and Jill Williams from Below the Skyline. As we go on to talk about the images you've captured in in the waters around Sky, listeners might want to log on to www.belowtheskyline.com and you can see some of the images that we're going to be talking about. Geraint, did you have particular animal species that you wanted to, to see photographs of that you have never seen brilliant photographs of before?
2: No and yes. I knew what was down there and I, I knew how they could look. But one of my great annoyances, frustrations, is that nearly every underwater photograph you see is taken in the Far East or the Caribbean or Australia where you have warm waters, great visibility, you know, and you see a turtle swimming through. And that becomes the the iconic underwater photograph. And they're great. I'm I'm not knocking that, and, and the shoals of colourful fish. And you come back to the to the UK and you're walking on the beach, as we can all do, and you see this unstructured, dull lines made in jellyfish has dying. Now, notwithstanding that they can sting you, but in their own environment, they are the most vivid, colourful jellyfish that you can imagine. And through, through Jill's hard work and the detail, I've now studied the lion's mane jellyfish. I've gone beyond its vivid red central tentacles and you've seen the delicateness of the bell and the lobes and the patterns that's within it and the the translucent moving into the solid moving into the the vibrant crimson red and then the translucent tentacles and I've seen then how if you get the light right be it morning sunlight coming through the water or with a strobe light and you can see different colour and patterns in that so my appreciation of that Lion's mate has just jumped. And I always knew we could do that, but I wanted to prove it. And then the other thing that still is to me, one of the most exciting, and it's you mentioned dive locations, when Jill goes off her back garden, the river Snizzolt, when it is full of peat, when there's strong light coming through it, and it is foaming, because you get this lovely abstract underwater image, which is, you you know, you you mentioned Torreveig. It is the water of light. It is that that whisky colour with with, with light in it. And and that is sky. And we should should aim to create images that we use our peat water, which is part of sky, to create great images and, and not chase the azure, Blues. Let's, let's make a feature of, of what are our features.
1: The observed the blues are never going to happen, are they? No. I mean, occasionally you get a, a really nice, crisp, sharp, clear water, but, but you're never going to get your 30, 40 metres visibility that you would in these warmer climes.
0: And what are the challenges of capturing images of jellyfish?
1: Uh, well, I don't see that there are any because I, I just love them and I, I, I'm glad that I've converted Geraint into a jellyfish lover. Uh, but no, I i mean, I, for me personally, they are the most beautiful, delicate creatures. And yet when you get close into them and I get up close and personal to them, um, they, they are so technical in structure. You know, there's so much detail there. And yet they are the most simple of creatures. And... Um, I suppose challenges are to avoid being stung but I feel the cold and so I'm always in a wetsuit and I've got a hood on I've got gloves on boots etc etc so so I'm completely covered apart from about that much of my skin underneath my mask so just just between my nose and my top lip and uh the only, you know, the only time I've been hit by a tentacle is right across there. Oh. So, so uh, I, I do get stung occasionally, um, but, but not very often. And because they're very slow moving anyway, you, you, you tend to be able to keep out of their way, you know. And uh, and what and, sort of
0: distances are you operating at from them?
1: Oh, inches. Really? I'm going in with a macro lens on a lot of these photographs. It's all the macro lens and I'm, I'm like that close to them. And they can have all these tentacles coming out. And as long as I go in, I, if, if they've got long tentacles coming out the back, then because these, these creatures can grow to huge sizes and, and their tentacles can stretch for 90 odd metres, 100 metres, and they sting, obviously. And so um, the, the bigger danger is swimming, is not, not being aware there's a jellyfish there, but a, a tentacle just sort of drifting along and you're swimming into it without realising and, and it's too late by the time it's stung you but but most of the time I get up to the main body of the jellyfish so that I can see where the tentacles are going and I'll keep out of the way of the tentacles but I can get right in close to the the main sort of, as as Grant described, the bell and the, the lobes of it and I can get the camera right in there um, and then just change sides or try and get the camera underneath it, above it or you know just just play around with it really but not not touching it just just i'm very very respectful of everything in the water and and i keep my distance but but i get as close as i can without obviously distressing the creature or my you know or myself if i get (laughs) stung
2: so
0: grant you spoke earlier about the excitement of jill's texts that she sends you when she comes out of the water how excited are you when she sends you the, the files, the, the, the raw files?
2: I'm, I'm not the most excitable of people, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> to, not, t- not. <laughs> to be honest. I, I do grumpy very well. But uh, no, the, 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 way, the way it works, um, so the files are uploaded onto the cloud and then they, they come down to me. So I'll be working on other work and I will see that images from Jill are coming in. And then it's me finding a time in my schedule to, to look through. And there is always a, a frisson of, you know, expectation. So I will go in with a package and I will see all the images that are there in one, in one go in their, in their raw state. And, and immediately you, you get an idea of how the dive has gone. And some of the dives, I'm not kidding you, I, I would be happy to put up every single image, which is a phenomenal head and you, you just go after them one after another and you see different things. In and then there's, there's other ones where you look at it and you think, yeah, that will go into the library and there might be one or two to pick out. But I think at the moment, the real excitement, just to go how the journey goes, I still remember the, the message I got that Jill had photographed a nudie Birch, mm-hmm. And there was real excitement. Nudie botch. So, first thing I do, I'm Googling. What's a nudie branch? <laughs> <laughs> no. So I look, I look up a nudie branch. I'm, a, I'm an expert on nudie branch. The photograph comes out and the photograph is okay. If it's the only photograph of the nudie branch you've got, it's the photograph you go with. But it tells that bit of the story. But what we want to do is really showcase the nudie branch. So now we know where they are. We know what we're looking for. The advantage of the macro lens is it focuses very close to what, what your subject is. Newly branch is a tiny little creatures. Let's go back, let's get better images of newly branch. And, and the last couple we've posted, they're, they're um, part of their, their filter apparatus. It's like quartz crystal. It is delightful. And there's this, this violet color Within it Now, our first nudie branch didn't have that. It was taken where we were pushing the technology. It was a grainy photograph. Uh, different you know, nudie branch, of course. Different nudie branch, but the, the focus wasn't pinched. So when you go back and go back and go back and you start building up, so you've now got top quality images, you can tell the story about the nudie branch. And again, it's back because it's a still image. It's not a moving image. Still image. The person looking at the image... Give them the impact and then suck them in. And as you suck them in, they'll see the detail. Go back to the lion's mane. vivid crimson. I've got your attention. And then we take a photograph with the macro lens that is just part of the lobe and you suddenly see the detail. The nitty You see the detail. So stop them scrolling with their thumb and then give them something to hook onto as they get the detail. Reward them... For spending the time looking at your image and i, I think more and more jill's images are, are do that if you look at the detail there's there's some fascinating form color uh the the construction of nature it's wondrous it really is and the small building blocks calp tiny little animals build 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 and if you're on a boat and you see you know uh Harbour dolphin, uh, sort of jumping out of the water. Their health is dependent on the seaweed and the tiny little creatures that form the building blocks. Get excited about them and you'll always have the dolphins.
0: So now talk me through the post-production process. What's involved and how much are you manipulating the image that Jill has captured?
2: First thing, what we don't do is use colour filtration, or very rare, and and, I mean, very rare. What we tend to do, or what I'm tending to do is, first of all, look at how is the light in the image? And once I see how the light is falling, is to try and accentuate the light that falls where I want your eye to go. Because the human eye will naturally go to the bright part of the image. So we tend to work with exposure and contrast to take away aspects of the image and focus your attention on on parts of the image. So many of the images if the if the listeners are going on our website and they see some of the images that have a black background, the raw file I've probably got, it is probably a deep mucky Mm -hmm. greeny colour with speckles in it. And that's the speckles and scatter in the water and and the deep green um, light through water is absorbed as a green Mm colour. So if I take that exposure down and the contrast I can turn that black without changing the colour of the subject. And then by the way you manipulate that you're leaving the light on the subject so it is now brighter than it's surrounding area so you will then Focus in. So that's the, the first thing we do and we do a lot of contrast work uh, which again achieves the same thing. And then Jill mentioned earlier um, I love working with light and I do a lot with what's called white balance. Now the best way to explain white balance, anyone who lives on sky but you know around the world, the light and the color you see objects when you view them at sunset or sunrise is very different when you see them in the middle of the day and that is purely because at sunrise and sunset you've got this golden colour to the light and and that reflects in different ways so if you put that into the underwater environment and you you take for example some of the rusts that we've got underwater which have already got autumnal colours in their flanks with some blues or whatever if you have that sort of Late evening, early morning, sunshine, color that gold comes out more. So we can we can if we've got the light hitting because Jill now sometimes uses strobes. We <laughs> can we can bring that that white balance out without changing the other color. So not we then don't end up making green seaweed look like, wheats sort of you know fields of wheat. You know it keeps the green where the green is, but it 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 enhances. So that's the they're the, the sort of two main uh, techniques we use um, and also the other thing we do a lot just on the exposure is, is underexposing because again if you if you have something bright it washes the colour out so you see an evening sunset with your eyes and if you underexpose it it comes vivid and there's, there's colours in that sky you don't see just looking at it until you take the light away so it sounds daft but sometimes by taking light away it brings out what is there, and you're not having time to see, and that's that's the main things that I do in post production.
0: So, Jill, having seen what Geraint does with your images, has that changed the way that you take the photographs now?
1: I I think I have changed the way I take photographs anyway over the last eighteen months. Really, I mean, obviously, I want to get it right for the project. I want to do as best I can for the project, and and. I've always, always had that philosophy, you know, to do as, as best I possibly can with anything that I, I do. And um, as I've learned over the 18 months with taking photographs of things, I've, I, I I know what Geraint likes, you know, what, what end result he wants now as well. So I, I'm, I'm trying to please myself. I'm trying to please Geraint. And I'm also thinking, you know, what would look good that would grab... The, the attention of, of people that see that photograph you know and so there's there's a number of things going on there as well and you know I've, I've actually only recently you know this, this is how it's developing now whereas before I'd always send Geraint you know a photograph from it, any particular swim I did but you know I've done a, a couple of uh, swims recently where I've not submitted any photographs through because I'm just not happy with no. them anymore, you know, and my, my levels have all gone up, my own <laughs> expectations have gone up, you know, and so so I'm, 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 I'm always trying to improve and always going for the better shot than the last one, if you like. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I am aware of what how, how Geraint likes things, but I'm, I'm also aware of, of, you know, how I'm coming on as well with, with, with taking photographs. I, I think
2: an, an, a good analogy, is if you think of music. Now, the rhythm that is happening around Sky, the the music is actually created by nature, and we're in a very privileged situation to go down and try to capture it. I see Jill as the conductor, and she focuses our attention on aspects of that music, that, that back rhythm or the crescendo or whatever. So she decides really well what is to be focused on at the time. And then all I'm doing is the geek production to make sure that the sound levels are what they need to be.
0: So conductor, what is the instrument that you want in your orchestra as the project <laughs> oh <gosh>. goes on?
1: <laughs> oh gosh, it's, not, it's no instrument now. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I mean, over the last 18, because I spent so long in the water and because I'm using the macro lens more frequently now, it's changed the way I actually swim in the water. And so, whereas before, if I'm, if I'm with wide angle, you're looking at a bigger picture. But the macro lens has taught me just to stop dead and look. And I'm looking at things that are right in front of me. And and they can be so small that that the human eye can't, cannot detect. If you're just looking at it, you cannot detect what it is. And but then looking through with the macro lens, you could suddenly realize it's the tiniest, tiniest little yellow spotted newly branch or or something you know, something similar. But because I've had to slow down with this work, I'm not moving to keep warm. And so, you know, new new sort of instruments in my in my sort of orchestra have been um Thicker wetsuits. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's been the biggest thing. I, I actually swam in Iceland last year in the, the Silver Rift, and it was absolutely Baltic. It was, it was blizzarding when we got in, and we were wearing these 9mm Arctic wetsuits. And as soon as I got out of the water, I thought, I've got to get one of those <laughs> because that will mean I can stay in the water for as long as I want throughout the winter doing this photography. And so as soon as I came back, I managed to track down the company from Norway and and I've got, I've probably got about, I don't know, a dozen wetsuits of varying thicknesses. But at the moment, I'm in a seven millimetre wetsuit and uh, very shortly that's going to go back to my nine millimetre arctic suit. And that just gives me the capability to stay in the water for at least a good hour in the winter but but probably longer as well until you know and even though I'm wearing gloves my hands start to get really cold but and I've only sort of brought in those wetsuits because I'm not moving anymore once I've got to the location right because sometimes I get into the water and I'm having to swim to a particular location that I know is going to be good and so once I, once I get to that location, I'm, I'm barely moving. I'm literally just floating over something. And if I find something that's interesting, then I'm going to be there for quite a while taking photographs of it from different angles, etc. So, so yeah, wetsuit, thick wetsuit was the, the latest <laughs> instrument.
0: 18 months into the, the project, many of the images are now commercially available and they are stunningly beautiful, I have to tell listeners. They are absolutely stunningly beautiful. How can people get hold of them if they're interested in purchasing?
2: If they want them for themselves, uh, on the, via the website onto the, the gallery and you buy a personal license and you can have it as a digital. The other license is commercial license and the commercial licenses are on there which are worldwide standard. And between the two, there is what I would say are the practical licenses. As I said earlier, this is not a commercial project it's about getting an information out there and if you are an organization that shares our aims you're an organization that are based on sky or anything and you feel one of our images would support you then talk to us and we'll try and find a way that we can make use of the imagery if it helps get our message out so don't be scared by the commercial license that's if a Magazine in the US wants to use it, pay. but if you are on Sky and you, you want to buy into this, we'd love to find a way that you can make use of our imagery.
1: But also, uh, we also have acrylic aluminium prints as yes. well available. Yeah, sorry, they're, they're on the side as well. You can automatically on the side, I should have
2: said that. Um, sorry, the business side is all digital. But <laughs> you, you can order an aluminium or acrylic and it gets delivered to your door. And, you, you know, the muscles on acrylic look stunning if I have to. And there is, I should mention, there is a limited edition of 10 images printed up on Solu.world, S-O-L-U.world. And they're a limited edition. They've got exclusive use of some of the, uh, the, the jellyfish. And they look Fantastic,
1: mm-hmm. if I, I, I as couldn't as even as believe it was my <laughs> photo. I kept looking at it thinking, Wow, that looks amazing! and then you have to pinch yourself thinking, I actually took that photo, you know, but it does, doesn't it? That, yeah. that photo they took. Oh.
0: Jill Williams and Geraint Ashton Jones, thank you very much for your time.
1: Oh, you're welcome, pleasure, thank you.
0: And that's all for this edition of the SkyTime podcast, sponsored by Torreveig Distillery on Slate, where an island style, heavily peated single malt whiskey is being distilled in a beautifully restored farm steading. Please get in touch if you'd like to sponsor SkyTime or advertise your business on the next podcast. Simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Until then, stay safe.